Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Juan Cicada, Principal Scientist at Data.World and co-host of the Catalog and Cocktails podcast. We discussed Juan's belief that knowledge first, i.e. what is the data actually telling us and what is the semantic meaning of the data, is the key to unlocking business value. He argues that we've been too focused on the amount of data rather than the value it can drive. So we need to work backwards from what insights we need and match the data consumer needs to the data production. The general current industry approach is to simply produce more data instead of focus on the right data in the right setup to allow for answering business questions. In Juan's definition, knowledge first has three components, context, people, and relationship. Juan is a big proponent of knowledge graphs, so the relationship side is one many people miss and one that he wants to emphasize as well. Uh, We discuss some of the challenges in sharing information in a scalable way that address these three components, but it's still early days in figuring out how to do this, right? You can't have one-on-one conversations with your entire company. That's not scalable. So how do we really think about sharing semantic meaning of data and that we don't try to push that off to uh, just being a tooling task because tools and semantics are difficult to mix. (laughs) Juan gave some thoughts on what his approach to data mesh hinges on. That's treating data as a product and finding a balance between centralization and decentralization for all the aspects of building out your data mesh implementation. You know, what is the centralization, decentralization around governance or your data platform or lots of different decision points? And that it's going to be slightly different for every organization, but that everybody should be asking the same types of questions around that. For me, there are two even higher level aspects to data mesh. Data mesh is about data preparedness. It's when you go to ask a question, your data is in a shape and in a way where you can go and answer that question more easily, more quickly, 
in a much more reliable and repeatable manner. And then the second aspect is the combination of increasing the business context in the data we store, lowering the bar to actually using that data, and raising the capability of your general organization to use data. So if we increase the value or the the real information in what data we we're looking at and we make it easier as well as training more people to use data we can infuse data into far more decisions for one in intuit's approach really spoke to him of the fixed flexible/extensible or customizable model right? especially when you're thinking about how do you define certain concepts is there a set definition for customer or is there a set definition for telephone number? There probably should be for telephone number, but there probably shouldn't be for customer because it can mean so many different things in so many different organizations. And you need to figure out where those fixed definitions can live and how we share those. And again, that's a centralization or decentralization approach. Extensible is that there's something to build off of, right? So again, that customer can mean many things, but there might be a a couple of centralized approaches that the organization shares with their team so that people can start off on the right foot. And then customizable is crucial because you don't want to predefine everything. There's lots of reasons not to do that, but it also wastes valuable time and it doesn't fit the business need. Where there are needs, there will be what Juan calls intellectual friction, right? Where people are disagreeing. And that's where you want to spend your time and effort. You don't want to try to anticipate everything that might come up. So this is the uh, perfect is the enemy of done or perfect is the enemy of good. You want to allow there to be some challenges that you still solve that you don't try to solve for everything up front you will never get going on your data mesh implementation or really anything. (laughs) Lastly, we talked about the general drive to reduce toil, especially within uh, data mesh, of really reinventing the wheel. So Juan pointed to a lot of existing standards and um, uh, frameworks around data sharing, RDF, OWL, and many more as, as a good starting point even if you don't want to use that, you can look at how those were developed and you can use that as a framework to develop your own standards internally for your organization. You don't have to take them whole cloth as they are, but that you want to look at how you might create a standard and that you might borrow from a lot of these existing things. So, and if you want to hear someone say semantics and ontology more than just a few times, this is the podcast episode for you. And then check the show notes for some potentially useful links around uh, those specific standards. So with that, I'm really excited. I think you'll learn a lot from this, uh, this episode. And so let's go ahead and jump in. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Really excited about this episode today. I've got Juan Cicada from Data.World here. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot of things around uh, knowledge first with Data Mesh and, and how Juan's concept of Data Mesh and what it needs to actually accomplish and, and how to actually go out and create a successful implementation that will drive a lot of value. So with that, Juan, if you could give a little bit of an intro to yourself and kind of what you're doing, and then we can jump into some data mesh type to topics. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Scott. Uh, my name is Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist at data.world. Uh, I uh, kind of started my career in academia. I did my undergrad and my PhD in computer science uh, at the University of Texas at Austin and uh, almost been in this kind of data space for 15 years. I, my original kind of life was about understanding the relationship between uh, relational databases and semantic technologies, which are now knowledge graphs. And, and that was uh, the, the basis of my research and my work, uh, commercialized a lot of the work that we did in my research and started a company called Capcenta, which we were doing a semantic data integration, semantic data virtualization. Um, so we did that for a couple of years and, and actually uh, data.world was one of our customers and, and it just made sense for us to kind of join forces. So I uh, sold the company data.world and, and that's where we are right now. Uh, data.world is, I, I've been in this now, this metadata and data catalog space for almost like two and a half years. And it's just really fascinating to go see how all these dots are being connected um, throughout the last decade that I've been seeing. And I think data mesh is one of those things that I've talked to many people that it's like, well, by by all the independent parts of data mesh don't see are, are like not unique, but putting them together and how it has been established, like that was a unique the unique thing that finally somebody came out and said it. And a lot of people I've talked to, they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking about. And finally, uh, we're, we're having this conversation now. So I think that's why it's super super exciting when, uh, about data mesh because it's really connecting the connecting a lot of the dots that we've been seen independently. Uh, and I think finally we're driving towards a, a, a well-defined vision. Still work to be done, but uh, that's why uh, that's why I'm here and I'm very excited about all this space. Yeah. And, and I think the um, downstream implications of trying to solve X or Y or Z problem is what Jamak really put together well of, okay, if you push the data ownership to the domains, but you don't give them the capability to actually model their data, there's still this pass off to the data engineering team. And if you're trying to get them to do that and you're not giving them a platform to actually make sharing their data possible, then it doesn't work. And if you're not creating the kind of governance aspect of it as to standards, you're just going to have high quality data silo. So like, yeah, I think exactly what you're talking about of taking everything that we've learned from software engineering for the last 20 years, popping up to a higher level and say, how would we actually apply the good parts to data? <laughs> and uh, where are we still going to have challenges? And what are the challenges that we, we need to be cognizant that we're still going to face? That's, that's where I think a lot of people get very excited about data mesh is that it's realistic in that it's not okay, and then everything's kumbaya, and, and you do a simple implementation of an architecture and it's all good. It's like, no, there's yeah. a lot of people process. <laughs> exactly. And I think, and I think that's, that's what I really like about data mesh. So let's forget about the term right now, data mesh. Uh, 
what we really want is to bring in, as you just said, the the best practices of software and bring them into data. And I think it's, I think that's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of mind blowing that we don't, we have not been doing that for data. Uh, <laughs> and I think, it, and, and I don't think people would argue that that's a bad thing. So now I think now having, bringing that mindset of bringing kind of like software best practices into data, now that's somehow putting the, this label of data mesh. I mean, it's much more than that, but I think if we, if, if we have the starting point and we agree on that, I think that is something that we will all sh- nod and saying, yeah, that is a good thing. Um, and, and, and my honest, no BS kind of definition of data mesh, I like to think about it as, as two things. One is we want to treat data as a product. And by that, I actually mean the same way you almost shop on Amazon, right? Anybody can go in and they can search for something, they can go find it, they can find multiple things, they know how to go compare them, they're able to make a decision on their own. They never have to go call the vendor or whatever, right? They can just, they look at the reviews, uh, they, they look at all the different characteristics, they're able to go, they know how to purchase it, they know when it arrives, uh, they know how to go use it, uh, they, they know how to go provide feedback, good or bad, and so forth, right? That's how we treat products today, uh, almost the same way you find uh, uh, software uh, products on uh, on GitHub or open source, right? You, you, you know how to find that stuff. Uh, uh, it, there's all there's stars and ratings and so forth. So I think we need to start treating data that way. And the second thing is understanding this balance between centralization and decentralization. Um, I think we the, the if we centralize everything, if you're starting to go, grow and you're a big company, that's going to generate bottlenecks and everybody's slow and so forth, right? That's not a good thing. But if you're going to go on the other side of the spectrum and decentralize everything, you're going to have a bunch of silos everywhere. So they, so understanding that balance, which really depends on your company culture, it depends on 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 the people that you have on on the, on the size of your company. That finding that balance is is between decentralization and decentralization. That's one of the key aspects for for data mesh. So for me to summarize, one, it's treating data as a product, and second, it's finding that balance that works for you between centralization and decentralization. Those are the two key things, which for me is what is a data mesh. Yeah, and I think that's a lot around what is a successful implementation. For for me, when I pop up to an even higher level, I think of data preparedness, right? That you, instead of answering to the question, right, where you go and you find the data to answer the question, you have prepared the data for answering questions, right, that it's there. And then it's raising the context bar of the data you share and increasing the usability of the data. And usability means many different things, you know, mm-hmm. trustability and accessibility and all that. So it's raising the, the data's quality, lowering the um, the access bar, the bar to actually use that data, and then training your people and, and, uh, and changing your culture so that there is more just drive and that your people are more capable of doing that. But exactly what you talked about, if you don't get that, if you don't treat data as a product, you're just going to have the same problems that we constantly always have of, you know, the upstream systems change and they just break and your data is a consequence of your upstream system instead of it's a product, right? It's not something that that you're managing and and thinking about and and how it's actually being consumed. 
and that balance of centralization, decentralization is important for every aspect and to ask for every aspect of what you're doing, centralized or decentralized, right? If you fully decentralize um, your the concept around the platform, every domain has to build their own platform. That's just not going to work, right? But if you try and fully centralize the governance, we've seen how much of a bottleneck that is, fully centralize the data team. So fully agree. Um, I, I think there are just so many questions that people have to ask, but that you have to kind of think through each aspect of, of that centralization. And are we thinking back to, is this going to enable us to, to treat data as a product? Because if you start to get away from that, or if you start to, to chase the cool technology side, which happens for technologists, yep. <laughs> we're in a lot of trouble. So um, you've had a lot more uh, conversations with people that are implementing more around the, you know, your specific technology and, and things like that. So you you are coming at this from a, a knowledge first approach. Could, could you explain what you mean by that? And then maybe some of the challenges that people are, are talking to you about and how they're approaching it um, from, and, and how you'd help solve it with that knowledge first approach. So um, th- this is like the big theme I have this year about knowledge first. And what I, but before I get into that, I want to describe kind of the situation that we're in or the one I think that we're in just based on kind of observations and, and, and how I'm interpreting this. I think we live in, we've always lived in this world of a, of a data first, which is, hey, I need more data. Give me more data. I need to go integrate all this data, dump all my data, my lake, and so forth. That's the world that we have lived in. Um, and, and everything that you just said, like there's invo- there, there's people around this stuff. There's context around these things. And it's not just about give me the data. Now, we, when I think if we look at how we've been integrating data for the last 20, 30 years or whatever, I feel that we have been defining success from a technical perspective, which is my goal is to integrate data, put it into a warehouse, now put it into a, into a lake, I would do ETL, now we do ELT, now it's a cloud. But, but I think at the end of the day, our success criteria is the amount of data that we can go put together in a place. Uh, and, and at the beginning, right, 10 years ago, it was about we have large amounts of data, we have big data, so we focus so much on scalability and all these things. But frankly, I think that's the wrong metric. Our goal is not about, oh, putting our data and then we're done because that's traditionally like you go hire a a, a big consultancy company, right? And they're like, well, here's a million dollars and uh, and six months. So it turns into a year or more to go generate your data warehouse and that fails. And why does that fail? It doesn't fail for scalability or any reasons. It fails because people don't use it or they don't trust it. They don't trust them traditionally. They don't trust the data warehouses. Why? Because they were accessing that data and they don't believe the numbers that come out of that. They don't know where that, they don't know where the stuff comes. And then we've been trying to address this with more technology. We need lineage and so forth. But if we think back, the goal here isn't about integrating data. The goal is, as you just said, it's to go answer business questions that are frankly just going to either make us more money or save us money. That's at the end of the day. So we really need to make sure that we're defining success by those people, those business users that are trying to go answer questions. So if I pull the data all into one place and I say, oh, I'm done, I'm being successful. But if the business people are still not able to answer the questions, even though you've integrated the data and you put them into a lake or whatever, 
then no, you have not been successful. Success needs to be defined by the people and if they're able to go answer a question. So I think we are not being successful as much as we would want to because those people are not being able to go answer their questions. So I, I, there's this joke. I, I, I repeat this all the time. Uh, I heard, I've heard this at, a, at an Enterprise Data World conference five, six years ago, is that we can take a rocket to space. We can bring it back to Earth. It can land on a platform in the middle of the ocean, but we still can't say if these two spreadsheets match. And, I, and, and frankly, you could even argue that all this data integration work that we've been doing is even harder than rocket science. I mean, for God's sake, like, I mean, this, this is kind of ridiculous. So... Uh, the, I always repeat the Einstein's uh, definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I would argue that we are almost driving ourselves insane because we've been keep, we've been doing the same thing over and over again. The things have shifted a little bit, right? The, the data warehouses are data lakes and we're doing we're being more agile and we're in the cloud. But if we zoom out, it's kind of the same paradigm. And this paradigm has been this data first paradigm. Just give me more data. Let's focus on data. Metrics are how much data I have. And so we need to go change something. And this change is what I think is going to, what I'm calling now knowledge first. And the knowledge first, I'm going to really kind of separate it in three parts. One is context first, people first, and relationships first. So if we think about context, I need to know if I, if I, if I interpret, if I see a piece of data, what does that actually mean? So I was actually uh, the other day, there's some conversations going on on the LinkedIn post that I have about knowledge first. And somebody says, well, yeah, if I have the number 10, 10 is a number, right? I know it's a, it's a positive natural number, but so what? I need to know, give me more context around that. Oh, it's a temperature. Okay, that's good. And what? Is it in Celsius or is it in Fahrenheit? Because 10 Celsius is very different from 10 Fahrenheit. Okay, let's say it's 10 Celsius. Okay, so what do I do with that? Uh, I need more context. Is this the the temperature in my refrigerator or is this the temperature of the water that I'm going to take a shower with? Two different decisions I'm going to make depending on that context. So I think that's what we need to go do. Start having what that context is. And that context is the knowledge, right? Second is on people. Like who is this, who is going to go use this and how are they going and, and who owns this and who's going to make a decision about that stuff? And those people, how are they related? They work in what department and so forth. Even think about it. Like, I think in organizations, we need to start uh, understanding how the combine the data that we're integrating with the actual people in the organization of who's supporting them and what departments and what domains and so forth, right? And then relationships is that, frankly, everything gets connected. Right, just knowing that this data th that this data can be connected with this other data, this data cannot be connected or can only be connected under these particular circumstances, or connecting this data with the particular knowledge, with the schemas, with the models I need that, that actually represent the semantics behind that, what this stuff means. So, this is hard, right? And this isn't things that we can go easily automate because guess what? We got to go talk to people, got to talk to humans. And humans are complicated, and and I think part of the whole thing is that as technologists. Uh, we are, are are afraid of of having to go deal with humans, and our goal is always to automate things to make sure I don't have a hu I don't I don't need to get humans involved. And I think that's a switch that we need to start thinking about, and that's why I'm saying we need to get into this mindset of a knowledge first, which is the context, people, and relationships. What do you yeah, think? Well, and and I think a lot of what you're talking about is the. Even when you're saying the the data first, what I'm thinking of is that this is somewhat technology first, even almost data second, because it's just trying to throw 
technology at all of the challenges. And, and that's, what we, that's what we're comfortable with because that's what we've right. always been doing, right? And people process is is difficult, but like I've been I've been trying to figure out how we might tackle the kind of integration challenge that's coming with the modern data stack, right? Where these things are just really not playing all that well together. But how do you really integrate things at that semantic level, right? You, you can integrate the data. The data is exactly what you said. It is it is a number or a value or whatever, but without any context around it, it's it's pretty worthless. So, and how do you manage things like semantic drift? You can you can check and and model for and and you know monitor the drift within the actual data, but semantic changes. It might be that your pipeline's broken simply because the semantics have changed, and so that is kind of the 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 data as a product concept. But can we have tools that back us up, and and can we have people process that is enabled by by mm-hmm. tools? Because I think when when we just say people process is hard, it gets to a place where we're just saying, okay, it's now 100% on people process versus let's augment our people process side so that we can find these best practices, but that we also can more easily share our context. So it's not only one-on-one conversations because those are not scalable as well. You know, they're necessary. They're what we need to do. But how can we scale those one-on-one conversations? Which is kind of the point of this podcast. Honestly, yeah. it's it's one-on-one conversations that are just out loud that other people can access if they want to to get this. You know, I'm not saying anybody that comes on, including myself, is the expert around X or Y or Z for this exact reason. So, um, what what have you seen as kind of initial approaches or or what are you seeing when if people are um agreeing with you on this so so i mean i'll I'll caveat as you just said like i don't think anybody is an expert on this because we're all figuring this out right now (laughs) early Um, days early days (laughs) it's early days uh so i'll share a couple of things that i have seen other people who i extremely admire and who have uh, who have been very successful in their careers so that's one thing i'll share second uh I'll, I'll share kind of some of my personal thoughts and ideas that I've been having. And third, things that I'm, that we're actually starting to go test with prospect with customers and, 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 and because they're trying to go figure this out. So one of them, I'll, I'll be very specific, is I, I've spent time with a lot of folks at Intuit. I think they're, they've done a fascinating uh, work. And, and one of the things I learned from them is this whole model they have of a fixed, flexible, and customized. And... And fixes like when it comes to centralizing and some of your like your core models, there are things that need to be fixed. Is like I don't want anybody to redefine what is an email. An email is something that is well defined. Period. Um, telephone number. What is a telephone number? Because there's uh, there, there are particular what I'm calling these core concepts that should be fixed. That this and and because there's policies around there that we as an organization need to have a standardization because there's regulations around that stuff, right? We can get fined all these things, so we must have this fixed, and everybody must follow this. And if you do not follow this, you are actually being not just a bad citizen; you can get us in big trouble. 
So that's one thing. Second is uh, this, what I call um, extend ex- to be able to extend. It's like, hey, I need something that's similar to that core model that exists, but it doesn't fit everything I need. I need to add some stuff. Okay, well, guess what? Go reuse that core model that has been governed in a centralized manner, and now you and your decentralized approach can go extend it. So now gives you that flexibility. And then customize is if, hey, there's something that doesn't exist, uh, and I need to go do something new. Uh, and I need to go define a new type of model, a new type of schema for something that doesn't exist. So that's something that I've actually I've learned from the folks at Intuit that they've defined. And, and, and this has led me to, to kind of what I've been thinking about personally is understanding what you want to go centralized and what you want to be decentralized. So for example, um, if you, I, 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 this may be wishful thinking, but I think this is actually possible, is that you want to start having, bring in the right people from those domains, the, 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 the important domains that you know that they're going to participate in this mesh. And you say, okay, what are the most important things for you? Right. Yes, we talk about a customer, but let's actually get more specific about what is a customer, right? They'll have names, they'll have emails, they'll have phone numbers and stuff like that. What are the things that would be ideal that we don't that we can just agree upon or that we should agree upon? And I think we should start making that list of things. And and I think in this process, you need to start cataloging. That's why I mean I'm biased because my my employer is a data catalog vendor, and I think catalogs play a, a core part of this because we don't even know. What is out there, not even just from the technical metadata perspective, but even from the business metadata. So we talk about, oh, what is a customer? Oh, of course, there's no one definition of a customer. Fair point. I know. How many are there? Do we even know? Let's go catalog them. And we are going to obviously have so many different definitions that use the same word for customer. And people say, well, we have three or four. I mean, go ask people and ask them to go catalog those definitions. So I think a data catalog has to have very strong business glossary capabilities to be able to go manage all the possible definitions and have all the collaboration around that. And then you start when you start getting people to people or right, humans to start kind of contributing to that catalog of what these terms are, you start seeing the pattern saying, well, look, everybody agrees, or or there's some tendency that we should have these are as core concepts. Again, names, emails, phone numbers, right? These are things that we should have an agreement on. And, and then you'll probably have even policies that you know they need to go follow around that. So I believe that once you start kind of that back, you create that backlog of the most important concepts around there, and you'll, I, I well, something we're starting to see is that you'll start defining what are those core ones that you should go focus on. And then you want to have, I think, some sort of a center of excellence or something like that in a, in a centralized way that will be able to go define what these things mean. And then every domain will have their data product manager or their liaison that they're going to be working with this cent- that they're either part of the central for or the central uh, uh, let's call it governance in a way that are going to make sure that we all have that agreement on, on what these core things are. So this is important. So defining what is core. The moment that we start having so much discussion about this stuff, we don't agree. Then by definition, that's probably not core. And then we can let other people every single decentralized domain, think about it. Now, I think we always come into this assumption that, oh, we need to, uh, uh, we want to go uh, make sure that everything is is great, right? Perfect is the enemy of great. And, I'm, and, and part of me real thinks is that we want to enable what I, what I call this intellectual friction. If we need to let people have disagreements and we need to be okay if there are disagreements, because if there are disagreements, 
that means that people are having those discussions and that's that friction is that is that being generated and then we know wow there's a lot of people who care about that let's go figure that out together and that's where probably energy and there's where value should be but if we start thinking about kind of from a top-down approach and let's go control these things we're going to spend time on other aspects where we think oh we should be controlling this but nobody really cares about it so the, if we enable those, if we enable that, if that's a cultural thing, we enable dis- disagreements. We actually say, yes, let's see what happens out here. That is going to be an indicator of, oh, that's where we should well spend some time. Yeah. And, and th- when you have that decentralization, that's what it's going to enable that friction. And I think that's always going to be an indicator about that. And so that's kind of where my thoughts are. And, and kind of to wrap up in this part is what I'm seeing right now with customers that we're doing is that they are effectively defining uh, what are those core concepts, right? I think this, this is why data modeling is such an important thing. That is a, is a knowledge first type of, 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 of uh, a characteristic is to be really good to do data modeling. And I think, frankly, people nowadays don't do much data modeling. That's a sad thing. <laughs> Get on front of the whiteboard and let's make sure that, that we know how we know what these things are and how they're connected together. And then start defining uh, what these what I'm what I've been hearing this term more and more called contracts. What 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 the the, the meaning of phone number is defined by some contract, and those contracts can have it must have these attributes optionally can have these other attributes. So for example, a phone number must have a country code, must have an area code, must have the number, uh, uh, optionally can have an extension. It must have permissioning to lay a voicemail, uh, right? It must have a type of only these three things, cell phone, uh, mobile, and home, and work. So if I have a phone number, I know exactly what I expect, and it has to have these minimal things. So I think, and, and those are stuff that we can start defining. And I think we're, I'm actually start working with customers to go define these types of things, which are connected inside of your business glossary. Uh, and, and then at the end of the day, you want, the, you want these contracts to be, I mean, how Shamak defines it, computable, right? This is, you need these things to be not just in words. I want this so actually machines can be able to read this and be able to go say, hey, you just sent me telephone data. This is good or this is bad and it's missing these things. That's why it's bad. Well, and, and a couple of those things that I wanted to, to drill into a little bit. One would be um, kind of what you're talking about with the fixed and then extensible slash flexible and customizable or customized, I guess, um, would be that's kind of what I'm starting to see more and more of best practices within data mesh of you go and you offer people the fixed because every Every aspect of data mesh right now, you are going to domains and saying, okay, share your data the way you want to share it. And and they, especially the data modeling aspect, they don't know how they want to share it. So if the centralized team, as you're moving from centralized to decentralized, can create those standard type of schema to share them, that's a great jumping off point, that there are certain things that are fixed. It's not that the team has to use a fixed data model, but it's that same concept even of, hey, we all need to be playing from the same rules, but also, hey, the empathy angle of not having to um, to have somebody invent everything in their own head, that they have to start from scratch. If you can give them a place to, to jump off from and even say, no, I don't like that, um, but uh, and the the contracts aspect, you know, I've 
some of the the previous interviews that that I've had have ta- touched on this, and I've got a couple more coming up as well. Um, that there's the you know has the schema changed? Did you break your contract that way? But exactly what you talked about earlier of there's a difference between is the data conformant, right? Versus is the data correct, right? <laughs> of it, does it still mean the same thing? So how do we embed the people process aspect of has this changed? And not, you know, that there is necessarily a single point in time breaking change of where you go from measuring from in Celsius to Fahrenheit, but that, you know, the temperature aspect um, is kind of a bad one to use for this, but that the meaning of, of customer in that domain may have changed. It may have evolved and that you were having individual person and now you also have household subscriptions. You know, you think about like Spotify, a customer used to be a single user. And now they've got like Spotify home or whatever. I, I think they do. I don't know. I don't use any of that stuff, but um, uh, that they've got these group aspects. So who is the customer? Is it the household? Is it the single person that's paying for all the other accounts? Is it all of the accounts individually, right? Like that semantics has changed. So even if the specifics haven't changed and, and how do you push that? Again, you push that left to the people who are going to be making changes that could make it change. One of the big things that I see that people talk about a lot of challenges in, in data management outside of data mesh is you have all these data assets or data artifacts and you know all these tables that people are reliant on and a change somewhere up and down the stream broke that, whether it's fully broken or whether it's just the data is not correct in it anymore. If you aren't actually having the people who understand what might have changed to break it, and then what leads to that breakage, you just, it's that data as a product concept, right? That that you're, you're not having that empathy for the people who might be consuming from this. And you know, you, you might say, well, the thing I shared upstream is, is fine. It hasn't changed. It's like, okay, but you changed like in this one little aspect that broke everything downstream, even though you thought it was the same. So how do you push that conversation back up and say, look, everything is customizable. Everything is extensible in, in the broader sense, but we all have to agree and work together. And if something is changing that you change the the terminology around it, the ontology to say, this has changed. How do you signal that change? How do you signal that change is coming or that that change has occurred? And and just that back and forth communication of, of how do you share your context with <laughs> the rest of the organization in a scalable way, right? You talk about these companies that have 50,000, 100,000 people, you can't have one-on-one conversations around every change. So how, how, do we, how, how do we embed that into the tooling, but that we still understand that there's, that there's such a, a big difference? So, you know, that there, that there is the change that has occurred. So I, it's, so it's, I, a, it's I, a thing that's I, fascinating I, and I can't, don't have answers. Well, I, I, <laughs> I frankly think that, yes, even though the, the size of the company 
does not always correlate to how complex the 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 meanings of the company is. At the end of the day, I mean, this maybe sounds very simplistic, but it is on purpose. You got customers place orders. An order has an order line. An order line has products. An order is shipped to an address. There's a shipping address. There's a billing address. I mean, you can really define a very simple and extensible data model. And this is this falls into the whole data centric architecture practice that Dave McComb uh, brings. And I think that's a that's a, I think that is the way to start thinking about it. Now, if we're going to start saying, no, I said my business is so complex. I'm like, okay, then just keep doing the same stuff over and over again. And, and, but you, 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 we have to, this is the shift of thinking about knowledge first is like, no, let's go start thinking about what these core concepts are and how are they related. And this relationship, and you brought up the word, which I'm surprised and I'm happily surprised is this is your ontology, right? This is your semantics. And this is why I believe that the whole knowledge graph technology, all the semantic technologies that's been around for 15, 20 years, this is the basis of what we should be using. And I, and I can imagine a lot of people are going to start reinventing the wheel, but all this stuff is very well defined. There are all these languages to define schema, semantics, to define these contracts, to define all these rules. All that is done. There's already existing ontologies, industry-based ontologies you can go use from, from metadata to all different types of industries. So my call right now for anybody who's listening is do not please reinvent the wheel because you are going to waste so much time and you're, gonna, you're not going to help the industry. You're just going to put so many steps back. So think about this as a map. We all use Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever, right? That's and and that's going to tell me how do I get from I use a map to know, understand how to get from one place to another, and I can go literally draw my 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 path of how I'm going to go somewhere. So when you think about uh, uh, the, the the your organization, start drawing the map of how things occur. And you can, I mean, you can imagine it, it shouldn't it's not it shouldn't be that complicated, right? You have some ingredients that are being used to go deal, to create a product, that product go through some supply chain. You can describe what that supply chain is, where it goes through that warehouse. You know exactly where things get shipped. You know where it gets sold. I mean, you can probably, you can definitely draw that out. That's your map. That could be your ontology. That can be your view. Those are the core concepts around that. And then you tell somebody in a domain, you literally go draw a circle or whatever around that map for you to define what does a customer mean for you? Oh, a customer for me is when the product went, was shipped and got delivered to the front door of the customer. Okay, you actually drew that defined, that drawing around that map, that's your contract for what you mean for a customer. Somebody else goes around and says, no, no, no. For me, it's when the user clicked, uh, put their credit card and they checked out. So that's it's a subset of the other one because they don't care if it got delivered or not and so forth. So this is why the modeling and actually starting to think about things of what's the core concepts, how they're connected, it is crucial. And you actually get people to literally look at that and they can go draw around it. And that's their definition of things. I think I was having a conversation in uh, one of our past podcasts with uh, Steve Whitla, and he was this, he was stating how important drawing is. And I think this is how we realize when we start talking to each other and we start talking about stuff and it's abstract, go ask somebody, draw it. If they're not able to go draw it, then they're too high level, too high up. And that forces you to think about what do you really mean? And I should be able to go draw it and I should be able to go understand it what somebody drew, right? You say tomato, I say tomato, but if we draw it and we're like, oh, we're talking about the same thing, 
that really helps our communication. So I think drawing, and this goes into data modeling and literally the bubbles and lines that you go do, this is one of the things that we're not, that's a technology or, or tools that we're not really thinking about right now. Like that's kind of been relegated to the old data modeling tools for, for, for creating UML diagrams and so forth. But we need to bring that in today for what I'm calling this knowledge first world. Yeah, yeah, I think, well, for me, that would be very uh, challenging because when I'm the least artistic person I've ever known, I, I had a. a well, no, you can who, draw bubbles and lines and how they're connected. I don't. You don't need any arts for that. Yeah, uh, even with that. No, I no, a, I call I call BS on that. You are. I give you a marker and a whiteboard. I can say you draw me a model of your organization. You can draw it. You don't need any artistic. Uh, 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 you don't need to be artistic to do that. I had I did have a teacher who who thought uh, I might need uh, a little bit of extra help because my coloring was the worst coloring she's ever seen in in 25 years of teaching. So I do, <laughs> but um, but yeah, like I mean, I and I also my brain just kind of doesn't translate things into language. But I think that exactly what you're talking about helps because and and that. I think what we need to do is have more of these one-on-one -on -one conversations that are then scalable so that you, you know, especially in a remote first world, that you might have a group of people that are recording their session and recording their Miro board or their whatever they're using to draw these things and that you, you can then share that with others and that it can it can be a signpost along the way because things will evolve and change, and we want to say, is this still the context? But um, we want to bring more people into the tent around what what were we thinking with this, or what what is this actually happening? You know, what is the context of the business around this topic at this point in time? So, I think how we get there is, is, is going to be interesting. And, um, I'll ask you to, um, I'll drop in the show notes if, if you've got them, some links to some, um, ontologies for different, um, different, uh, sectors and things like that, because I do think that's important. One of the, the things that I'm concerned about with data mesh is so much toil of everybody having to reinvent everything themselves. So I'm trying to extract information from folks to share with everyone to say, here's, here's your shortcut. Here's your shortcut. You don't have to yeah. do the I mean, work I, yourself. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, I think, so when it comes to like uh, the, the shortcuts, one of the things that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm concerned about is, is definitely when we're re like reinventing the, I mean, reinventing the wheel is something I'm always concerned about because it's waste so much time. And I think part of it is because we don't, um, it's just hard also to go find what, what is out there now. So for example, I always say that your first knowledge graph should be of your metadata. And, and if you think about it, what that means is that what are the most important core things with, uh, within your metadata? Well, I have databases, right? And those databases have tables and columns, right? I may have uh, analytical uh, dashboards, which are going to be Tableau, right? Stuff I can have terminology, business glossary terms. And then all those things are related, maybe related to each other. And guess what? There's already well-established ontologies and vocabularies to go define that metadata. Uh, DCAT, 
The data catalog vocabulary from the W3C has been established, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. The, the library science folks have something so famous called Dublin Core, which is where they define all the metadata about things that they're cataloging. Librarians are the first data people doing data catalogs, right? So all of this has been done. And now you're seeing this plethora of catalogs and open source tools, and they are all redefining how they're modeling this stuff. And I'm like, this has been done for, I mean, centuries basically, because it's the library sciences are doing been doing this stuff and everything. And and, and that's frustrating. That is really frustrating for me. And I and it, and it just scares me that we're just gonna go generate. We always talk about silos of data. We're just gonna now start generating silos of metadata all over the place when that is something that is really, really has been well defined. So I think that's one thing. And another thing I want to leave is is this whole other kind of community, let's call it. It's come more from the life sciences, but it but is completely applicable to, to anybody doing data mesh, is are, are these fair principles. And the fair fair principles stand by you want data to be findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. These four things. And if you think about it, this is exactly what you want all data products and things to be in mesh. And this has been well established for probably now 10 years in the entire life science area. So I think there's just so many different communities that don't talk to each other, but we're all effectively trying to go do the same thing. The technologies have been developed. The standards have already been developed around that stuff. The people are talking about uh, are talking about this in their own communities. They may be using different words, right? They use fair. Here we're defining something else in mesh, but it's kind of the same thing. So I think what we really need is to kind of get out of our technology hats and start really talking more to other people outside of the different communities. And, and this is why I think having these conversations and what you're doing with the podcast stuff, I think this is crucial because we want people to really understand and get exposed to more things out there. Yeah. Uh, so I had a, an interview with uh, Jesse Paquette, um, Tag Bio, and we were talking mostly about data testing, but one of the things that, that came out of it was, oh yeah, there are standard schemas in, in life sciences. And it just in general, across all of healthcare, there are standard schemas for this and this and this and this. And it was like, okay, that's such a, that's the, you know, when you talk about the fixed, extensible, flexible, or, or uh, you know, customized, okay, you've got a starting point. You've got the fixed starting point. And if you need to extend it, great, you extend it. But how do we get to those? How do we, you know, one of the, the big um, overall industries or, or, I guess I'm not exactly how to sure to characterize it, but is public sector for data mesh because so many uh, of these countries that are not the U.S. are actually about providing services to their to their citizens, <laughs> and so um, and, but they have to adhere to very strict um, uh, privacy requirements and things like that of what they can do with the data. But if we can get towards you know standardization around or just standards right that it's it's not necessarily that that there is standardization versus there is that starting point and then you start to think about how you could actually do cross organization data mesh sharing there needs to be standards everything jmac talked about this in, on her recent um episode of the data engineering podcast but if, if you listen, I bet she says standards probably 12, 15 times. I, I, was happily, I was happily surprised that she was bringing that up. It, and it's, it, but it's something where 
we need somebody to lead down this path. I tried to with the data moss thing, which was data mesh OSS. And then I don't think we were ready for it. I think we're still pretty early days with data mesh, but I think people need to start sharing their standards in and their whether that's interoperability standards, whether that's their schema standards or their what whatever that you want to start to share, that we can have a way to put those out in the open and not even necessarily as a rest request for comment, right? But mm-hmm. that it's a, hey, here's what we did, FYI. It's not it's not we're going to support it. We're not going to take a ton of questions on it, but here's this thing that we're throwing over the wall. And so I tried to do like an anonymous throw over the wall uh, aspect and people were like, "Well, why wouldn't we just support it?" It's like because Yeah, no, I, I, on, on this on this standards topic, <laughs> it's it's something that whenever we bring up standards, so many people throw up that at XKCD is like, "Oh, we've got 14 standards. We need a standard to rule them all." We got 15 standards, right? So this is always a concern people have, which is a very valid concern. But that concern happens, that concern comes up well, because we have this mindset of we need to go boil the ocean. And if you look at all these big industry standards yep. that have existed for so long, the reason why there's no uptake about them is because people end up, one, boiling the ocean, they don't have an agile approach, and they're not connected to the true business value, right? So they live they, they live in this ideal world around it. Now, so that's one thing. So we definitely should not be doing that. That's why you need to start thinking about creating your, look at the core concepts that are tied to the business value that are people are asking for because they got regulations they need to go deal with, or there's money they're left on the table and so forth. So you need standards internally within your organization. Otherwise, we will never, you, we will just always live in this area of silos, period. And if you want to, if you, if that's okay for you, all right. But there are also these well-established standards. And actually, when I listened to, to Shamak's post uh, podcast there, um, actually, this is, that, that's, a, that's a must listen and actually have my notes here. This was around the hour, nine minute mark on that. I have my notes here. And I said, we are missing standards to bridge the gap for how data needs to be shared. And one of the things that she mentioned is that data mesh will hopefully encourage vendors to share data, therefore establishing interoperability standards. I Fully, fully agree on this. But my take on this is one, there are already existing standards that people aren't aware of them, right? The entire semantic web community has been defining these technologies and standards for over the past two decades. So think about interoperability, you have the entire RDF data model for interoperability. Schemas, you have OWL. You have shapes over the, the model and right constraints. You got something called Shackle. You have to go, how do I query and federate? There's something called Sparkle. This is all done. For data lineage, we already have Provo for provenance. For metadata, we have Dublin Core, we have DCAT. And for defining business glossaries and taxonomies, we have SCOS. All of, I mean, if you, and if you think about a data catalog and managing your metadata, you combine the existing standards of Provo, Dublin Core, DCAT, and SCOS, that covers probably 80% of anything you need to go do within a, a data catalog, even if you're deciding to go build this yourself. So then there's all these existing kind of efforts. There's open lineage and open metadata, Agriria, Atlas. I think what we really need is for all this, these communities to really start talking to each other because we're just ended up creating all these silos. And at the end, people are like, well, there's four different things. Why create a fifth one? Because it's going to, not, it's going to become a, another silo. But that's why we, we need to really start figuring out what's out there and show people what has been done because otherwise uh, it, we will always just complain about no, there's never going to be standards. And then we're just going to continue living in this world of silos. So uh, I think there's, please don't reinvent the wheel. 
If we could talk real quickly about just for non-English speakers going back, uh, boil the ocean just means trying to do way too much at once, trying to tackle way too massive of a problem, just so that if people were, were confused as to that, and, and that's what we're talking about with these standards is that there are standards, not there is a standard. Yep. Right. There are. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with other standards emerging, but yes, we're having way too many emerge all at once. And they're, they're kind of combative with each other instead of, um, you know, I mean, I, I heard on the, the data engineering podcast, there was one that was, uh, one kind of that you mentioned that was, kind of throwing everybody else under the bus and being like, oh, they don't get what we we get and they don't see the things that we see. It's like, okay, but let's share that information so we can all head towards a better thing. If, if you're only trying to, to sell your product, then at some point you end up in your little box versus if you're participating in a much broader ecosystem and if you're participating in a positive way as a vendor, you open up a much bigger TAM, total addressable market. You open up a huge, huge opportunity. And yes, you may not have as much control over your little aspect of it, but you're in 10x the number of conversations. So like, hopefully we can get the economic incentives to align to exactly what you talked about, right? Where we have standards and they, they may not be you know, capable of addressing everything that people need, but that we also start to talk about how to extend them, how, how, to, how to customize them and how to extend them so that there are starting points that people can talk about. I, I keep talking about this with interoperability. I don't, I don't see anything there out there at all around how people are actually making their data interoperable. Well, I, Maybe I, I, so this is what I have to say, like the entire semantic web community and everything that they, everything around RDF, for example, is completely about interoperability. Like you go at Wikipedia and, and Wikidata with powers of data of that, that is a hundred percent interoperable. Anybody can go get that data. You can go pull that in. It's all self-describing. You can go use that. The, the entire for example, schema.org is the ontology that Google, Yahoo, uh, uh, Microsoft, Yandex, and so many people have been defining in a decentralized, collaborative way for over 10 years. That's how they have been defining, for example, what we care about when you go mark up your website. It's all interoperable. It's all open standards of how you describe your website. Anybody who goes, who crawls the data, who crawls the web, of course, the Googles of the world will do that. But if anybody wants to go create their own crawler, they can go extract all that data, completely interoperable. This is what I'm saying that the, 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 now it's a different community and it's the web community. And, and I, would, I would acknowledge that it's more of the academic kind of, and there's, there's a lot of history and baggage behind that. But that is all well established, all well done. So I will actually disagree with you that there is an entire ecosystem, an entire industry around all this interoperability of data using RDF. And yes, it's more of the graph side, but it's there. And deciding not to pay attention to it is a huge mistake. And you are going to reinvent the wheel because if you, if you end up reinventing the wheel, you are going to be adding all those exact features that exist in, in, in that entire semantic web stack. Well, and that was my point is that there isn't anyone talking about exactly how they are doing interoperability in data mesh, 
right? There isn't anybody saying, and this is how we are making it interoperable. So like somebody taking those things and saying, and this is how it's applicable, like that they're, they're making that last mile, you know, connection between here is RDF and here is how you would leverage this for data mesh or here yeah, is how a, like that. Very, the, very fair point. Yeah. I, I agree that we need to have more of this and, and I'm ho- hopefully this, this podcast right now, this discussion is going to get spawn people to ask these questions. And, and that's something, exactly. and this is something that I'm trying to go do more with our knowledge. I mean, this is what I mean by knowledge first too, right? Is being able to understand what the stuff means and how to be able to other people to go reuse this knowledge. Uh, what the, the co-author of my, uh, the book I wrote on knowledge graphs with Aura Lasilla, He's at Amazon Neptune, and he has this story. He, he he tells this kind of little story, which is what you really want is to be able to go put the data model of that describes your organization on a USB stick, be able to little stick it into the ground, and a hundred years later, somebody should be able to go open that up and understand that. We should be able to go do. I mean, we're still understanding companies that have existed a hundred years ago. How do we make sure that we're able to go do that going forward? And, yeah. I, and I think this is this is. Uh, this is this is this balance of what I've called before resilience versus being efficient, and I think we live in this world where we're very very efficient, right? I want to get things to work very well as fast as possible. Why did we run out of toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic? Because we had a very efficient just in time supply chain, but pandemic hits and we didn't run out of toilet paper, right? You go. Uh, the, the Suez Canal is extremely efficient, but you have a boat that just little tilts, I don't know, five, 10 degrees, and then the entire economy of the world goes kaput. Not resilient. So we, I, 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 I ask people, I ask our customers too, is like, are you being efficient or are you thinking about being resilient? And there's a balance, right? It's not about saying it's one or the other. Um, and, and, and a lot of our customers, we have a customer that says, we have been in business for 400 years. Yes, we are. one of our customers has been in business for 400 years. We need to make sure that we're going to be in business for another 400 years. It's a different exactly. mindset if you're a company thinking about what's going to happen two years from now. And I think that's also kind of a mentality of, is data mesh great for you or not? Yeah, it's, it, it's are you approaching things with intentionality as well? Like, are you, are you comfortable thinking through and slowing down to speed up? Are you, you know, like, what is the impact of what I'm doing here versus like modern data stack for me is so much about, you know, GSD, get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And, but the, a lot of that is a reaction to the fact that their upstream keeps changing and breaking things out from underneath them. If you remove that breaking change constant underneath them and say, we're going to, take that away from you. Do you need to focus so much on getting things done, 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 done versus what is my impact of this? Should I go and talk to people? Do I need to go do this five days of work to build this thing? Or can I go and have a 20 minute conversation with the people that I'm planning on building this for? And they tell me, no, we don't need it. Or no, we need this entirely different thing. Or this is the question. That's exactly, that's the intellectual friction we need to go have. And that happens when people talk to each other. And that yeah. and, 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 and that's when we have this knowledge first mentality. Yeah, exactly. So I, th- I think that's a, a, 
a good place to to kind of start the the wrap up. Is there you know, we we covered a lot of things here. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or do you have kind of your I, on uh Juan and and uh, his colleague Tim Gasper have a a great pod, podcast called uh, Catalog and Cocktails and they they tend to do a wrap up. I know we do a bottom line up front here, but like uh, is there anything that you would say in the wrap up before we get to the actual kind of farewells? <laughs> no, so I, I th- the main thing is uh, start thinking about knowledge, right? And and knowledge, easy things is like, how am I modeling things? Uh, where is that being saved? Who is doing that? Who knows what this stuff means? I mean, I, I think that's something that is, again, combining things about people, Context and relationships first. I think that that's this new mentality about it, uh, and it's um, it's still kind of high in the level. I'm, I, I agree, and I think it's something that I want more people to go discuss about it. And if you're interested, please uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'm I'm Juan Cicada on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is Juan at Data World. And and as you mentioned, yeah, Tim Gasper and I we have our every Wednesday uh, at 4 p.m. Central we do our live catalog and cocktails podcast, and then you can go find it on every single. Uh, podcast it's an honest not uh, no bs non-salesy podcast about data and we'll drop all that that stuff in the show notes as well as uh i'll drop uh juan did a a, a great write-up of uh max appearance on the data engineering podcast um he did a, a great write-up of that so i'll drop that link in there as well um but uh you know thank you so much juan this was uh very uh, helpful for me to to kind of understand your context as well. And I think this gives people a lot to to dig into. So thanks so much for spending the, the time here today. And, and thanks for everybody listening at home. Thank you, Scott. I want to thank my guest today, Juan Cicada, the principal scientist at Data.World and the co-host of the Catalogs and Cocktails podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Juan, as I had mentioned, there's plenty of uh, info in the show notes on how to do that. If you've got anything that you'd like to reach out to Juan about, he loves to talk about semantics, ontology, knowledge graphs. Please feel free to reach out. And he's also often in the Data Mesh Learning Community Slack as well, if, if you'd like to try to reach him there. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. 
As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank you.